This is Live Booleans, where Costa and Alex chat about, well, game dev things. Video games, dev culture, tech, game design, events, and all the other stuff they love to nerd out on. So thanks for tuning in. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Live Booleans, episode 15, as our guest just informed us. Um, I'm Alex and joined always by Costa. Hey, how's it going? Good, mate. Um, this week, we're very lucky to have uh, Split Symmetry on, who have been working on their game Tech Hunter. Um, real fortunate to be joined by, is it the whole team? Uh, about half of the team. Half of the team. You guys have been growing. Awesome. Yes, we Cool. Have. <laughs> so instead of, I guess, uh, us introducing it and butchering it, we'll, um, we'll get you guys to go, we'll go around and we'll introduce ourselves, um, starting with yourself, Richard. Sure. Uh, my name is Richard. I'm a programmer by trade, uh, come from doing a lot of simulation work actually at my previous jobs. Um, I'd had enough of that. So I left there and I wanted to make my own games. And I also started teaching other people to make video games as well. So. Teaching's my day job. Alongside of that, I'm making uh, the moment Tech Hunter, which is a science fiction treasure hunting game, which uh, we'll tell you a bit more about later on. Who wants to go next? <laughs> ben, let's go with you. Hey, my name is Ben. I'm a programmer. I work full-time for a mobile game studio in Adelaide, and I've been working on Tech Hunter for about a year as well, um, mostly focusing on the graphics and the visuals and some of the more technical visual features. Nice. And Anna? Hi, my name is Anna. I'm a digital artist and designer currently working for Monkey Stack. And for Split Symmetry, I work on the user interface design and some of the 3D assets for Tech Hunter. Nice. And Morgan? Uh, hi, I'm Morgan. Um, sadly, I'm not in industry at the moment, but I guess working with these guys is is basically an industry. Uh, I'm a level designer, um, and yeah, I've been working on Tech Hunter for the past year. That's awesome. And who else is, uh, who, who can't join us tonight so in the, the team? The, the other two core members who couldn't be with us tonight are Jamie Pilaringos, who is uh, uh, an environment and 3D modeling person. Uh, and we also have uh, Quentin, who is another level designer for us as well. Nice, awesome. So I guess the first question, before, I mean, the, the standard would be to ask about the game, but first, you guys got a pretty big team for, for your projects. How do, how do you go managing that? Like, um, that's got to be tricky. How, how do you all find each other? So, uh, <laughs> Jamie and I, um, I'll go with this one since uh, I was one of the people there from the start. So, Jamie and I at our old job uh, making uh, simulations for uh, a defense company here in South Australia. Uh, essentially we just decided that we both picked up our skills because we wanted to make video games so we started doing that along the side of stuff we were really lucky because our bosses back there were happy for us to do that and were supportive of that um and eventually we both went off and got other jobs and we decided that we wanted to make this a bit more of a serious thing so we put together a plan to do a few prototypes um and start um trying to get them onto platforms other than PCs and decided that we would uh, move forward to which with whichever was the first of those to get some traction, um, which was in fact the first of the three prototypes that we made. We were then uh, working away at that alongside of our other jobs for, I think it was two and a bit years. Things were going along relatively nicely and steadily, but uh, we heard from Anna through local game dev groups saying she was looking for games to practice her graphic design on, in particular with making user interface stuff. And we thought, well, why not? So we invited her onto the team, which 
was pretty awesome because she accepted and has been doing cool stuff for us ever since. Um, and uh, over the few months after that, bringing on one new member, it injected a lot of energy into the team and brought fresh perspectives and stuff like that. So uh, a few months after that, Ben got in contact and he said, hey, I'd like to help you out with the graphical side of stuff because it's not my area of specialty. So uh, he jumped on board. And then a bit later after that, I actually contacted uh, Morgan and Quentin myself and said, hey, making this game, uh, there's a lot to go and I've been making the levels myself, but it would be cool to have some dedicated level designers come on to help with that, the large amount of content that we needed to get the game finished. So uh, they joined based on that as well. So yeah, that's that's how the core team formed. And outside of that, we've got a couple of people as well helping us with uh, additional uh, art and sound effects and uh, and music composition as well. Yeah, right. And how do you how do you find you know working in I guess all of you finding working in a a pretty sizable team? Like, is it easy to keep track of everyone and communication? Someone who's not there. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a I mean, dedicated. I guess. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, we do have a dedicated Slack channel where we keep communication quite open with each other. We also have an Aura, which is a task management platform, so we can see who's working on what and what stage it's at. And we also have um, meetings online as well, which really helps with just having an open back and forth platform to talk on. <clears throat> yeah, and for me as well, um, you know, my day jobs usually work of fairly sizable teams as well you know like usually five to ten people so that makes things not too difficult um also i guess we're all um fairly specialized in what we're doing for this project so there's not heaps of overlap probably the closest thing is maybe me and richard there's a bit of programming overlap but richard tends to have more of the overall programming and i'm quite specialized in what i do so yeah because there's not a lot of crossover and conflict i guess we can all kind of work pretty independently as well when we catch up it's like just sort of seeing what everyone's up to is more of a interesting thing and just making sure we're all sort of heading in the right direction but there's yeah. not usually too many major things we have to work out organization wise mm. yeah. uh, i think for um for for like quentin and i particularly doing like level design and working on the design um it's interesting working with this team because like ben said we are all quite specialized and so um like quentin and i will spend a lot of time talking with richard and like making sure that um all of the design and levels are all going in the you know the right direction and strengthening the core pillars uh whereas then it means that like we tend to just see what like ben does um be like oh wow that graphic stuff is really <laughs> dope but not really like um yeah like need to interact too too heavily um so it doesn't really become a bottleneck or so anything. there's a real like trust in the team that everyone's in charge of their own areas and you all meet together and show what you have yeah pretty much and most of the time in so uh, as Anna mentioned we've got slack and we've got aura um and we're all in really good habits about when we're doing something using those things to give everyone updates live so then whenever someone sits down to do some work it's not normally more than 30 seconds really to check through that and see what's changed since last time we sat down and did some work um and it's also really easy for us to just flag way ahead of time hey i'm doing this and this other thing's gonna block me eventually or whatnot so everyone's just really good at staying on top of that and spotting when someone's going to get stuck on something and generally just prioritizing things so that we don't run into bottlenecks too often 
it's not yeah. perfect, but it is pretty good. So I'm definitely happy. Yeah. Well, I mean, the size that the team's grown in the last, you know, year or so, mm-hmm. a couple of years, it's these skills are hard to learn. So you know, if you if you're managing, you're doing better than most. Let's say. I want to ask a lot of a lot more questions on uh, the creative, you know, sort of drive and how you balance all the different what well, with so many people, how you, how you balance the creative and the technical and all that sort of stuff. But first, probably be best to do a thirty second or a minute pitch on uh, Tech Hunter and the game and finding out what it's about and where yeah, you're going absolutely. with it. Absolutely, Richard. So, uh, Tech Hunter is a <laughs> Tech Hunter is a science fiction exploration and treasure hunting game. Uh, you're crash landed on a remote alien planet, uh, and you have to use your hover ship and a fleet of drones to do, to recover alien technology, upgrade your vehicles, and escape that planet. Uh, so, you're a part of a, an intergalactic expedition, the first one the Earth has sent out to colonize another solar system. And basically, your mothership has crash landed on an alien planet for reasons that you don't really understand at the start of the game. So, your job is to go out and solve puzzles, loot stuff, upgrade your technology figure out what's going on and then get out of it awesome and the game for anyone listening is beautiful like (laughs) google it facebook it youtube it whatever you got to do just have a look at it it's beautiful it's been a huge huge project for these guys so um, uh, how much of it is well i mean i guess it's a balance that you have to do where you're leading it technically because i mean a lot of it looks awesome graphically and uh, from that perspective but then it also really looks awesome from a creative perspective how do you balance it and has it changed um since the start of the project when it was a smaller team uh yeah it's it's changed a lot so uh speaking mostly to the project's early days when it was just myself and jamie our our first idea was a very linear mission based game so you would you would go into an area, you would have two or three objectives, you would finish them and then basically go on to the next level. Um, back at that time also, we were we were going to have uh, opposing players or forces who were trying to get the same treasures as well. And essentially what happened to that original creative vision is that as a designer, I couldn't find, I couldn't figure out a way to make the game fun if you lost, but we were still, we did the rest of the game and we were taking prototypes to trade shows and stuff like that and people loved what was there without having other people also trying to snaffle the treasure so we just kind of left it that way and we're like okay how can we design the rest of the game so that it doesn't need that so um over quite a few trade shows and play test sessions and stuff like that we eventually changed it so that uh, the impetus for the player to get the treasure wasn't so much the treasure for the treasure's sake anymore it was uh, we've now given the player another motivation um, and I guess different, uh, the long-term goal is now escaping the planet rather than just finding that treasure. Um, and you've got other stuff like that crashed mothership that you want to save and stuff like that as well. So the creative vision changed a lot, even though the core activities of the game have always been um, find treasure, solve puzzles, upgrade stuff. I guess from the technical slash graphics side. Um, so Jamie, the other, <clears throat> the environment and 3D artist who's not here currently, he sort of is driving most of that side of things, you know, in terms of the visual goals and um, like making the islands and the textures and all that stuff. Uh, a lot of what I've done is just, um, you know, try to work on techniques to sort of make the rest of the world fit in. Because um, mm. at islands, you can have big oceans, you can have like big skies and clouds and day and night and all that stuff. So, because yep. the visual goal of the game was more realistic rather than um, stylized, it fit in quite well with a lot of stuff I've been 
uh, researching and looking into. So it's basically just been, you know, how can we get this sort of looking as good as possible with the current visual goals and also yeah. keeping that optimized and, you know, allowing for artistic freedom and creativity and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's worth noting because uh, I remember talking to you recently, Ben, about the um, sky shader mm. you mm. built. Yeah. <laughs> And it's incredibly complicated. Like the light interacts with the atmosphere and and all that stuff. It's like yeah, a huge achievement that you got that working. Yeah, yeah, just it's pretty satisfying. <laughs> yeah, it looks gorgeous. Hey, <laughs> it does. It re- really does. And um, it- Anna, have you found this with these guys as well? Like you know, slotting in with the you said it was the the UI and everything. So that so you, I guess you have this. Um, style that's been established that we're going with this and then you come in and you have to do the ui art how do you find slotting in there um i feel like richard and jamie were very organized with what they were presenting to me when i first met them so it was easy enough to see how the game was being played and then how i can shape the user interface around that to best meet the user's needs so yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned playtesting, Richard, as being a huge part of, um, I guess, iterating on the design and that sort of stuff. <clears throat> Is that through? I mean, PAX. I know you guys were there. Um, was it two years ago? How? Yeah. How? What, what? What's the sort of biggest um, design changes that you've had to go through? I know you just mentioned sort of changing the whole motivation of the game. Would you say that's the largest one? Um. That was the largest one. I guess that was that was definitely driven by, I guess, positive interaction with players in that they liked how it was. So mm-hmm. you don't put in all this extra work making it into something else as it was at the time. There's been a whole lot of sort of, uh, I guess, refinement of elements. So we, we had our initial creative vision of, you know, we want to make a treasure hunting exploration game, uh, kind of, you know, something vaguely based on stuff like Tomb Raider, but... We don't want to rely on having bad guys to make the game interesting. Um, we do want to have things like the puzzle elements that they have in those games and the heavy uh, exploration and the upgrade loops and all of that kind of stuff. So just putting, I guess my general workflow is to get something in its minimal form working and put it in front of players and see how they react to it. And if they react well, then awesome. Keep refining it and putting it in front of people. Um, if they don't react so well, then figure out like, is it, is it a core design problem? Do they not like the thing? Um, is the thing okay, but I have implemented it poorly? Does it just need refinement? Have they played other things that have something like what I just did and it's just not up to their expectations? In which case, sometimes we've just gone and done a bunch of research. Okay, so people have compared us to this game unfavorably. That's cool. I like being compared to good things. Now let's see if we can figure out how to be as good at that as these other games. Um, so, uh, I wouldn't say that we've reached those things because we're a small team and we're commonly getting compared to other things like Subnautica is one also made by a small team. We've also been compared to uh, Zelda a lot and um, No Man's Sky is another one that comes up a heck of a lot because of the science fiction aspects and stuff like that. Um, I'm rambling. Back to the question. So the the idea for me is just with all of that playtesting stuff, get something in front of people and then figure out the next steps from there so that the refinement process is driven by people playing the game rather than by me and my own head thinking, this would be cool, let's just type some code. Mm-hmm. It's a very uh, programmer mentality. Like um, get get a prototype in, get it in front of people as quick as you can. We're like, 
I guess uh, if you come from the art perspective, you're like, no one looks at this until it's done. I don't care how long it takes. Yeah, that, that's actually one thing I tried to get out of my system like before Tech Hunter, but fairly early on in my career. Like I had a game ages ago now called Master Thief, where I basically I, I applied to go to a trade show, but I hadn't made a game yet. Uh, and it was a week out from the game. Uh, sorry, it was a week out from the trade show. Uh, and I realized that I still hadn't, had a little tiny XNA prototype back then, but I didn't have something that could be shown at a trade show. So I gave myself one weekend to make the game function. And then the weeknights that were work nights um, that led up to the show, I was just doing presentation and polish work. So I had a little tiny game, but because it was entirely driven by what do I think players will think when they see this, um, and looking at it from a presentation perspective and trying to keep the game itself as simple as possible. And then that was the best received thing I had ever made. Whereas earlier as a programmer, I was really thinking, I have to get all this functionality in, but that project really flipped the switch in my head that no, it's not about getting more stuff done. It's about getting stuff done better. Um, hmm. And yeah, it kind of just started from there. And it's a it's an attitude that's worked well for me since, I think. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, just that iteration that mm. get something in, get feedback. Yeah. That's a really valuable skill for any game devs listening out there to, to pick up on. Absolutely. What's it like for all of you to basically be balancing two different things, uh, well, maybe more than two different things? Um, and how does that uh, motivate or demotivate you, um, you know, when it comes to working on those different things? What are the two things? So say, you know, you work for um, a mobile game studio, then you work uh, on yeah. split symmetry, say on the side or after hours, or I'm not sure what the split is, but um, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but, I like but, this. <laughs> but um, yeah, what's the, how's it sort of, how do you function in, in the two different um, roles that you, each of you, I would say, would do? Well, for me at least, um, obviously working on mobile games uh, during the day is quite different from working on Tech Hunter, which has possibly got different target platforms and that sort of thing, um, and obviously a completely different kind of game, different play base. Uh, so luckily, there's not heaps of overlap in the core of what I do. Um, having said that, every time you program or work on shaders or anything, you're always kind of learning and using similar parts of your brain. So I can spend way too much time working on both and not really giving myself enough time in between. Um, so it's definitely something you have to be aware of and try to manage. Um, I also get a lot of enjoyment and relaxation out of working on Tech Hunter as well. Like, mm -hmm. it's something I can do in my spare time to make progress, but also to kind of enjoy. Um, mm. But at the same time, it's important to take breaks from both because even though it's enjoyable, your mind is just constantly working and you really need to give yourself breaks and not get burnt out as well. So, uh, also, Tech Hunter's uh, aimed on PC. Is it, are you planning for consoles or anything like that as well? Or? We're going to try and get it on as many platforms as we can, but uh, we don't have a final list yet. Yep, yep. So I guess for yourself, Ben, going from uh, mobile development of optimizing, optimizing for certain limited uh, platform and then to, to switch off to something that's just far more powerful from a, from a technical perspective must be freeing or... Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's pretty good at work. Obviously, I'm very limited with the techniques I use. Um, but at the same time, um, it's still important to know what the hardware is capable of achieving. Um, like, you know, we can mm -hmm. do awesome clouds and sky shaders and stuff for Tech Hunter, but we still have to keep them within a performance budget too. 
Mm-hmm. How about yourself, Richard? How do you how do you find the the split? Um, it, it has its great days and it has its not amazing days. Mostly, though, for me, it's uh, much like Ben. I do this because I want to do it. Like even even when I had my old job doing simulation work, I would go to work. I would do my eight hours making like uh, whatever boring simulation stuff I was doing. It's all the same skills, but it's different, I guess, um, subject matter. But I would come home and then I would sit down and open up my tools and start doing my own thing anyway. So it was really just a... To me, it's kind of a bit of a creative outlet that I want to be making stuff, but I I want to be making my own stuff as well as other people's stuff that, you know, pays the bills and, and fills in the day job requirements. So yeah it pretty much it scratches a creative itch that i haven't found another outlet for i guess is the answer to that yeah nice how long has um tech hunter been in development for uh i can't remember exactly when we started but it's roughly five years now okay yeah so has there been um like obviously the answer would be yes there'd be techniques in there that you had at the start that you you know now that you're doing like you has your pipeline changed? Has the techniques you use changed? The hardware? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So the the hardware, the, the targets at least haven't changed much at all since the start because we want to make the game fairly accessible to as many people as we can. Um, so we've had goals from the start and I think we've done a relatively good job of sticking to them. Like you, the game won't run on a potato, but it will run on pretty modest hardware. Um, so we're pretty pleased there. Um, but the kind of stuff that's changed is, say, uh, originally because the game was going to have a linear mission structure, something like, say, uh, I guess the Rogue Squadron games, way back when, if anyone's played those, um, the workflows that I originally made about uh, around creating those things, when we eventually went to the sort of free roam sort of thing, there's some stuff that when Ben came on, he's like, hey, Richard, why are you doing it like this? It doesn't quite make sense. And I said, well, because we started as this linear mission-based thing, and instead of going from scratch up with the objectives and, and the progression system and stuff like that, I just kind of modified it until it fit, and it, it works well enough. So my general rule there has been uh, I'll, I'll have a go at modifying something three times, and as soon as the third modification isn't enough because we've made too many design changes then i'll go back and scrap it and make a new thing that's bespoke but surprisingly a lot of the game has actually like a lot of the original code is still there because it was written reasonably flexibly in the first place and we haven't actually had to change it that much since um so yeah a few things have been literally gutted and redone over the uh, sort of probably about a year ago most of that stuff happened just as morgan and quentin came on board um but yeah a lot of it's also still I wouldn't say original, but from the first couple of years of development when we were doing really heavy prototype-driven stuff. Yeah, right. From a level perspective, um, I, I noticed like you know the setting of Tech Hunter. You got these vast, huge landscapes. How? What? What are you guys doing to uh, make them sort of, you know, lively and? Um, uh, keep keep players engaged as they're traversing these huge vast landscapes <clears throat> um lots of decorations <laughs> <laughs> i mean it depends uh, lots of the islands are still yeah. being worked out um mm. the shapes are sort of there but figuring out what sort of like mm. biomes and textures and you know mm. some of them might have quite a bit of foliage but 
we don't want all of them to be like Horizon Zero Dawn, so some will be a bit more like <laughs> like the one people probably seen at PAX and stuff is a bit more, you know, rocks and sand and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I guess one thing is the ship can fly fairly fast. Um, mm. Yes. So the player doesn't necessarily need to like crawl over every like meter of terrain and look at every little thing. Um, that would take a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's something we're still um, working out as we go along as well, as we yeah, sort of develop sure. the tools and techniques to sort of populate the islands. Yeah. Even from a technical uh, perspective, that would be such a uh yeah huge uh, thing to to work on and and to be able to have that seamlessness between the the, the huge environments as well yeah it's mm. definitely pretty technically challenging um especially with unity there's not really good built-in tools for that um and it's a bit difficult to find something that fits all use cases on the asset store as well so yeah but luckily there are other non-unity games like triple games like horizon zero dawn who have put technical documents mm-hmm. on how they handle large amounts of you know detail and foliage and that sort mm-hmm. of thing so we can sort of try to follow in their footsteps yeah and morgan um i guess to carry on from that as you do in the level design how have you worked on a um puzzle like a, a, a game that's based on levels with puzzles or is this the first one and like how do you go about doing it really like sounds intimidating yeah, it's been it's been quite a challenge um, because no, I haven't um, I haven't explicitly come from like making puzzles. Uh, previous previous to this, um, Quentin and I were working together on a game that was centered around like puzzles and exploration, and that's something that um, we had talked about with Richard um, for quite a while, and um, so that's how like the the overlap was there, but. Um, Tech Hunter is quite large in terms of its mechanics um, and how they all interact. So in some sense, it's like, yeah, it's quite intimidating to uh, to start approaching puzzles. But we we tend to come from an idea of like um, trying to make things um, based on like the unique interactions you can have between mechanics. So um, yeah, there's. Um, just trying to think of a good example, but um, yeah, you just um, it's getting the getting the ideas um, down first, mm-hmm. and then um, finding ways that you can add a twist to it is um, particularly like how we've tried to do it. So you you spend a bit of time going, well, this is how the player expects it to be done. How can we flip that on its head and then um, give them something that they have to really like sit and think about to to come up with a solution for. Um, but yeah. Are the um, levels laid out like where you know the solution from the start or do you create a puzzle that you're like oh crap now i have to solve <laughs> solve this so other people can solve it um it's a bit it, I, I would say it's 50 yeah. 50 it's um yeah sometimes sometimes it's literally just um oh i think this would be cool let's see like how i can push this um and then you you work on it and by the end you've got this really unique puzzle that you wouldn't have come up with um and other times i will sit there and write out plans and figure out the exact way that it's all going to interact um but when you do that sometimes 
that also doesn't end up working out just due to like how the, the all the mechanics work or um, what the player can see or what the player can keep a track of. Um, so it's it's a bit of a 50-50 in terms of just like, yeah, sometimes you ablib, sometimes you, you plan it all out. But it at the end of the day, um, yeah, you just try to come up with as many interesting puzzles for people yeah. as possible. Yeah, nice. And is there a lot of crossover with the user interface stuff um, when it comes to puzzles, or is it just sort of? And I mean, again, I haven't seen too much gameplay um, from Tech Hunter, but is it a dynamic UI that changes with the the puzzles, or is it environment based? And how does that crossover with with your work as well? Um, I'd say the user interface in Tech Hunter. It's more so showing the abilities that the player can use. So it doesn't really uh, interact with the environment. But Hmm. we were looking into something like perhaps if the player is in front of an object and they can use a specific ability on it, maybe Hmm. that part of the user interface will glow, just bring the player's attention that they can perform this action. If that answers the question. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess no, that not, side not, of things was still yeah. a bit of a work in progress as well. Yeah, yeah. As, as, yeah as, as all the games are. Yeah. <laughs> um, how has... Uh, uh, I know Split Symmetry is a recipient of the SA Games Innovation Fund, round two. <laughs> um, how has that been and how has that like, helped Split Symmetry... Um, progress tech hunter and, and has it made a big impact on on um, the workflow and that sort of stuff yeah so the the main thing that we've been using that for is to hire in other specialties that we don't have like uh all of the sound in the game so far with the exception of the music in the latest demo um is all stuff that we've like bought off the internet and just chucked in there ourselves so that players when testing have some feedback so one of the things that we're doing with uh, a chunk of that money is getting someone who actually knows about sound to have a look at our game and make it sound nice so that's a part of it um just due to the the nature of the fact that we're working on the game part-time we wanted to get a bit more art done than we were uh, managing to do uh, amongst ourselves so some of it's getting spent on that Uh, and then a bunch of other stuff is being spent on things like localization and voice acting and stuff like that which um well again the placeholder voice acting is from us or people that we know but long term uh that's something we'll probably eventually want to change um not necessarily in that we don't want to keep so so i've actually had a a friend who is a theater actor doing a bunch of voice acting so we're not necessarily wanting to get rid of that but we're thinking about expanding the cast slightly to help give the players contrast between different types of messages so helping out with stuff like that and then of course when the game is in other languages like well none of us speak those other languages so getting Mm -hmm. assistance with that's really important too basically not only do we want to get the game out to as many people on different platforms we want to be able to support different languages and stuff as well and are you looking at self-publishing for this or are you looking at approaching publishers we were originally looking at self-publishing, but um, that's something that we're rethinking. So we'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> nice. Nice. And um, when when's the uh, the hopeful window for release? Not sure on that one yet. Um, as soon as we can, we're really keen to get it out to people, but mm. it has to be done properly first. So. Mm. And um, with you, you touched before on like the localization and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Is there much? Um, 
uh, narrative driving the game or is it more a gameplay experience? It's more a gameplay experience, but there's definitely a narrative framework around that that gives the player their motivation and their goals and stuff like that. Um, and there's, there is a little bit of narrative that threads through the game, so getting that stuff right is also pretty important. Yeah, nice. So um, with the... Uh, Costa was talking before about how you took it to PAX, um, mm-hmm. and I, I've caught it before at Avcon. Um, yep. Has there been a uh, like a through line through every time you've shown it? People have been like, say, they've been drawn to something that you hadn't expected, or like, has has the reception always been like you know pretty much like uh, have people played it the way you expect them to, or have they have you found things just from showing other people? A bit of both from my experience. I'll let the others answer this one as well. But um, I, a particularly good moment for me, last time we were at PAX, um, a lady came over, sat down, played the game, and she got to like the, the reveal moment at the end of the demo. And she just put down the controller, said, oh my God, that was amazing. When can I buy it? And I'm like, hey. <laughs> that is what I want to see in someone who yeah. plays my game. Um, <laughs> she didn't realize that she was 10 <laughs> seconds from when the game went dark and and kicked her off but like, she had that uh, like, obviously the experience worked really really well for her and that was that was a cool moment for me as well because that was that was about three months after our previous playtesting experience so we we had a bunch of things that we had identified at uh, Avcon a few months beforehand so I had this list of like I want to improve this thing this bit isn't quite working and so on um, so I basically went home put my head down and with the rest of the team we were working through that and a bunch of other stuff um so yeah, there, there have been some through lines of things that like we're refining this thing and we need to just get it updated and in front of people and see if it works. Um, another one of my favorite examples of that actually comes from Avcom. We took the game and people were getting stuck at a particular point because um, they were tapping a button instead of holding it. So it wasn't doing what they expected. And Anna said, I think we should get the word hold and just write it in a different color. So that night I went home and I I changed the color of that one word in the pop-up that appears. Um, it was really ugly, but it stood out. Um, and and I bought a fresh build to the show the next day, and no one got stuck there anymore. So that was like, <laughs> I, I I like to me when I'm at work. That's a really good example for my students of when you're testing stuff with people. Little things can make huge differences, and unless you're observing and measuring, you you actually don't know how people are going to respond to your game. But if you start paying attention to those things, like in minute detail, then yes, things like I changed the color of one word and people stopped getting stuck. And that's, mm. as a creative person, that's really cool and rewarding as well. Even though it's kind of paint by numbers, measure and tweak and do it again. But it's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good but example, that- actually, of uh, problem solving across different disciplines. Mm. To have, mm. you know, say, Anna have the input from a desi- from a user interface design perspective, whereas you might have been looking at it from a completely logical perspective. It's like the hold is there. Why don't yeah. they know how to do it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I could talk a lot about tutorials, but I won't. We've been going through that at the moment with uh, Rooftop. Yep. Because um, we've had the, the Steam Festival recently. Um, and, like, there's, like, no metrics we can use. Like... You know, when you're at a convention, you can follow people's eyes and talk yes. to them and stuff like that. From a demo, from a Steam demo, all you have is playtime, really. Yep. is like, oh, when have they stopped playing? What what part did they stop at and try and figure it out from there? Yep. Yeah, but 
Yeah. How about the rest of the team? Have you guys found stuff that, you know, you presented it to at PAX, Avcon or something like that, where you were like, I'm pretty sure of this. And then something you were surprised when someone else picked it up. <clears throat> For me personally, um, when we were at PAX last was just after I joined the team. So, um, none of the sort of major stuff I've worked on was in the game at that point. So I basically just got to watch and see how people reacted to what everyone else has done. Um, I think one interesting thing is you can't really take every bit of feedback exactly the same because your game's not going to be for everyone. You kind of have to know, um, like, is this going to be the right sort of game for this person or is this person looking for something completely different? And, yeah. you know, you want to figure out what's going to help your game to be as good as it can rather than a game that someone might enjoy even though they're not really who you're targeting. So it's good to yeah. sort of filter things a little bit like that. And also to filter between developers who want to play your game as well. Because a lot of developers yeah. will give you very different feedback and sometimes it's like, they're like, oh, maybe I'd do it this way or that way. And that's another thing where you got to learn to pick your own approach or whether you want to take someone else's advice on how to do something. So it sort of depends how yeah. sure you are about your own approach as well. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys found um, they're not having the festivals and the playtests for the last you know year and a bit because you know uh, split symmetry is a staple pretty much at you know the abcons and stuff like that and and uh, I mean hopefully end of this year we'll have some stuff but um, mm. yeah they've been holding up without the the conventions. It's certainly been um, strange, considering that, like, so I joined uh, at the end of 2019. Um, so, you know, we were all talking about, oh, are we going to go to AvCon? We're going to go to AvCon. And then uh, Corona hit. So um, particularly as, like a, uh, like, a trained designer and, like, a level designer, to not have, have a year of building stuff and not have that, like, face-to-face, -face, like, are people mm -hmm. enjoying it? Like, what are they looking at? What are they doing? Uh, it's pretty nerve-wracking, but I'd say that I, for one, am very keen to get it out into people's hands and see what they think and, yeah, see how it goes. Yeah, I've, I've become guilty of that thing where people keep asking me, oh, can I play in your build? I'm like, yes, we'll have one soon. But there's always one more thing I want to get done before soon. <laughs> um, and I, I personally found having stuff like Avcon and Packs is a really good way of breaking that mental trap because... Avcon ain't moving because there's one more thing I want to get done so I have to draw that line in the sand like I'm stopping here polishing that stuff and we're going to the show yeah it tends it's to be the trend as well it tends to be the trend with game companies like they, they'll wait for a you know an E3 and then they'll just pack on all the effort and mm. that sort of stuff to that one event and then after that it's we can you can change the entire game but like you know you've yeah. had something that people have played and tried out and they get feedback from that yeah the, the other thing that I used to do a lot of, um, mostly in the first two years, was um, holding playtest sessions, um, and it's just something I got out of the habit of. Um, just silly, I should get back in the habit. But Are these just small playtest sessions with your friends, or are they public things? Uh, a bit of both. So we, do, we still do get friends to play it whenever we can. It's just that we're running out of friends who haven't played it much yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the other stuff are like... Uh, uh, along with uh, Chris Johnson, I used to help run, by which I just mean uh, look after venues for the um, Adelaide Game Dev testing event that ran every couple of months. Um, but I guess we both got really busy, so we've just been doing less of that. Um, but yeah, should get back into it because it's really, really useful. So for any game developers listening, do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
gives much feedback. <laughs> something absolutely. Sorry, uh, something I've really missed about Xpos was how you had game developers playing your game as well as people yes. who aren't game developers, because having both of these worlds of knowledge come together really helps you pinpoint what you need to improve on, and also yes. just get your ideas on what solutions to different problems you could possibly implement in your game. So I do really miss that. So it's really beneficial mm. to have, yeah, just everyone's input during the development process. How did you find the advice was different? Like, was it game designer or game developer was just much more targeted in, in like when when they're you know giving advice or what else did you see between or commonalities between game developers versus like a general audience? Um, I can't think of specific examples, but. I would say that a game developer, they might have come across something similar and then they just mm. let you know how their audience behaved and then maybe mm-hmm. you carry that knowledge back into the game. Yeah. I find a game developer, when they play your game, will break it and be like, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that too. <laughs> One of the things, this is definitely anecdotal because I don't, haven't, you know, run any numbers to to see if my intuition matches what really happens but i kind of feel that uh players often give you a solution or what they think is a solution then but a game developer will come along or at least the the really experienced ones come along and they don't tell you how to solve it they just tell you what the problem is so they've in their head already gone that one step back just like a player they probably thought oh these people should blah but they know that because they've designed lots of games themselves, I guess, they know that what they think is a solution doesn't necessarily fit with the rest of what we've done or what we're doing. Um, so that's one potential difference. Um, that being said, I have zero problem with players saying, hey, you should do X, because often it's thought-provoking, but also as designers, we can still think through that, okay, why is this person suggesting we do this thing? So what's the underlying cause that they think something should change? yeah and it's it's um it's just like even if it's uh like negative feet not negative but like uh, as you said that you should change this or you should add this it's so like sobering like mm. it, it doesn't even matter if they don't have that game design background does it it's just like oh sure. wow like this is who i'm making it for you know absolutely and like getting getting feedback and stuff from other people who are game designers or game developers is really really useful but to be honest if i had to choose get feedback from game developers or get feedback from non-game developers i would take the non-developers <laughs> because they're not mm. as good at figuring out potential solutions mm. but they're the ones we actually care about what they think uh, mm. It's not that I don't care what, the, what other designers think, but I'm not making it for that person as a designer. I'm making it for an audience. And if they're in it, awesome. Please enjoy my game. It'll be great. But otherwise, uh, knowing what audiences actually think, and to start with, that's not going to be great because you're in the really early stages of something that's not polished. So, of course, you're finding out where to put your effort because we only have, you know, a finite amount of time and effort and budget and all of that kind of stuff so knowing what sucks so i know i should go home and fix this thing tonight is actually really really cool even if people don't necessarily feel comfortable giving that feedback mm. so i try and make that as easy for them as possible yeah um is there a uh i guess i'll join the the other people that have asked you this um 
with a when can I play it? Um, yep. Is there a plan for a, a demo, <laughs> like a, an itch version or a Steam version or something? Um, possibly because we want to get as much play testing in as possible, but not a hundred percent sure what the release plan is and what restrictions might be around that. So mm. it could depend on those things. Yeah, yeah, Th- yeah, there will definitely be a lot of closed play testing though. So yeah. <laughs> We'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. No, we definitely need some kind of local play test and come up. Costa's been talking about that, haven't you? You've been wanting that for a while. Yeah. So there needs to be some sort of like, I mean, I, I'm only been in this industry for a short while, so um, I've never really experienced the shared play testing or, you know, having a session where different developers come along and show off what they're working on and um, mm. get other people to try it out or the public to try it out. So, yeah, need definitely need some like regular events where you can experiment more often as a game developer and just get random ideas tested by people who are also playing games. So definitely needs to be something. Um, uh, I don't, you know, I know yeah. a lot of people are busy, but so, yeah, for sure, it would be cool to see that happen. Absolutely, we should uh, get in touch with Game Plus and uh, see if they'll let us use their room. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> basically become the hub. Heck yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I guess we're, we're we're lucky that we have you know four local developers in a chat at the same time. So it'd be great to you know hear from each of you basically how how you saw the like local industry when you started, how you're seeing it now, and like where is there to go? That's something we always like to ask people. But you know, where Adelaide's a small uh, games community, but you know, what can we learn from the big the big players? Where can it improve? Yeah. Start it. You'll start with you, Richard. Oh, sure. Um, so when I started, which is a long time ago now, the local industry was basically Ratbag and one other small indie studio. And then Ratbag got bought by an overseas publisher. I can't remember who it was, who a short while later just told everyone, go home, you don't have jobs anymore. Oh. Um, so for me, like when I started, the industry was... It wasn't non-existent, but there wasn't much there and there wasn't a lot in the way of connections and stuff. So the stuff like uh, Avcon and the Indie Games Room was a really, really great sort of, I guess, original locus of growth in my experience. There was stuff before that. Um, but I think so. a friend of mine, Ben Kilsby, started the Indie Games Room and I think it went eight developers and then 12 developers and then 20, 48, 70 and then it dropped off a little bit again. But that was really, really cool, just being a part of that and taking a game there every year and just putting it in front of random people. But not not just taking the game, also seeing all of the new people that every time I went, there were new faces, and that was really, really cool. Uh, so I guess for me, one of the really cool things about the stuff that's going on now, stuff like um, Foxy becoming more established and Mighty Kingdom growing as fast as they have and, and a few big players coming into town now, uh, possibly thanks to stuff like the government grants and rebates and stuff that are going off. I think it's really good to see that growth trajectory keep going. Uh, and it's, we used to have a lot of groundswell in sort of like hobbyists for want of a better description, but people who are doing it because they loved it. Whereas now we're also getting a bit of commercial traction as well. And I really like that because it gives the people who are doing the hobby level stuff opportunities if they want to turn it into more than just a hobby. And that's basically what I would like to see uh, an industry go grow around the fact that people love doing that work as opposed to just growing around the fact that people are getting paychecks. Mm. 
How about you, Ben? <clears throat> hmm. It's a deep question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't been in the industry for quite as long as I, Richard. Um, I guess when I first, you know, started getting interested, I was just going to local uh, game dev meetups. Um, you know, we made some Anna and I and some friends made some stuff that got in the in games room. Um, then at some point, yeah, managed to get hired by one of the companies. Um, so yeah, I guess like back when I started, I wasn't really even sure, you know, what kind of like opportunities were here in um, Adelaide. But you know, there's quite a few and have been for a while, which is really cool. Um, even outside of just pure game development, you know, there's lots of like you know, simulation, online training. Um, mm. It's a lot of sort of different and smaller teams as well. Like ones that aren't necessarily hiring at the same rate as some of the bigger places like Foxy and Mighty Kingdom. But yeah, it's just, mm. it seems like it is growing and, you know, more and more opportunities popping up. And that's really cool. And then some people, you know, uh, work remotely for Australia or worldwide studios as well. So it's really cool that some mm. people here are doing that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And Anna. What have you thought of the, um, like where the industry is locally and what, um, where would you like to see it go? Uh, I'd say I'm new-ish to the industry, just working on mm. local game projects for a few years and been with Monkey Stack for about a year and a half. Um, in my time, I've noticed the government has been working on grants, which is really positive. Mm. And the Games Plus building has seen different companies move in and establish themselves there, which is really nice. And I've also noticed that our local networking events continue to get bigger, and I'm seeing new faces every time I go. So I think the industry is definitely growing really strongly in Adelaide, and it's certainly got a bright future ahead. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and Morgan, what do you reckon? Yeah, um, yeah. As well, I haven't been in the industry for quite as long as Richard. Um, but uh, when I started trying to get in, um, yeah, it was it was pretty reasonable um, in size. I feel like it um, it's only gotten bigger from things like AIE um, and the other um, you know the other game teaching like. Um, courses that are going around and I think that that's been uh, hugely positive in that there's just a lot more like just people getting into it and there's more ideas um, being flung around um, I think I think it would be um, it's one of those things where I've always thought it'd be really awesome to see some like AAA studios open back up um, and I mean um, like Mighty Kingdom and Monkey Stack are basically um, and uh, Foxy, sorry, uh, basically AAA studios at this point. Um, but it'd be really awesome to see some like big heavy hitters um, open up in Adelaide. And that's always been like a, a dream of mine to to be a part of something like that in Adelaide. Um, so I guess that's that would be my hope for the future is to get this real mix of like indie games and AAA and get that like even even some of that like in in the middle where you've got indies that are transitioning out of being indie into being like I don't know 20, 20 people teams and stuff like that making like heavy hitter games. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a it's an interesting beast the indie arts. Because I'd say indie games, but I mean, crosses over to film and everything like that, mm -hmm. where it's like the through line, I guess, with like everything that you guys all said was that it's community, you know, like that's a huge driving factor in all of this. And like, 
Like you don't get that from a, you know, the quote standard nine to five sort of things. Like you don't work at a, a I don't know, some cliche tax accountant business and then go, we need to grow the accountant uh, <laughs> community in Adelaide, you know, like, do, I, I reckon it's, do you reckon it's maybe, because it's so passion driven, like, you yeah. know, we're so used to when we were doing this in school or something, you come home and you want to keep working on this stuff that it becomes a part of your life and then you just meet these people who yeah. it's part of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's been a, because like, because um, you guys said, you know, oh, you're not very, you haven't been in the industry very long, but like, I know all your faces, like mm. you've been going to all the events and, and stuff like that. And that's the bonus as well is if Adelaide's going to grow as an industry, if you have these recurring faces, you'll become pillars, you know, of the industry. Um, I mean, Richard, you're already there. You're a lecturer, you know, so you already got the people looking up to you. I'm, I'm flattered. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, same, same to all of you. Like, um, I think that's what Costa and I have found like through this, like, and Anna, you said it's a, it's a bright future ahead with all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, it's changing. We always like to finish this up with the um, interesting dev story, which as we said, you know, artists, they're going to have some kind of, or programmers as well, sorry. They're always going to have some kind of last minute convention build or, you know, some kind of, is there any standout moments for any of you from Tech Hunter? Or alternatively, uh, a piece of advice <laughs> for game developers I guess if you don't have any wacky stories I, I think every time we've gone to a trade show we've been reasonably well organised I I remember once before Avcon being up at 2am finishing a build but that I think is the the craziest we've had and that's not that crazy compared to a lot of other teams and certainly some of the previous work I've done I have pulled all nighters back when I was less experienced um i don't recommend it if you can avoid it it's not healthy <laughs> i don't know anyone else have any crazy stories from tech concerts? yeah <laughs> or as costa said advice, I remember, some advice. Uh, at pax i think it was two years ago we had a laptop running the game and it overheated and yet we <laughs> still had people come to our booth and take our business cards <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It was great. So even though they couldn't play it. Yeah. We got it back up awesome. pretty quickly, but it was nice to see yeah, people yeah. still engage with us. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I can think of two I- reasonably simple advice things. Um, no matter how much you love, you know, what you're doing, like whether it's, you know, a hobby project or something serious, it's like always make sure to give yourself mental breaks no matter how much you enjoy it. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. this might be more Unity specific, but if you're making a longer term complicated project, don't rely on the asset store too much. Yeah. You're going to have to make so much stuff work together and at some point or another you're going to have to heavily yeah. convert or just write stuff yourself. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that. And it's not necessarily that the stuff up there is not good. It's that I, I've seen a lot of people on their forums and such get upset at Unity that they haven't done this thing and it would be useful to all these games. But what a lot of people, especially at the entry level, don't realise is that it would be useful for all of those games, but they all need it to be slightly different, which is mm. why there's not one one-size-fits-all solution. Um, but yeah, I, I guess uh, my piece of advice, if I was to live with one, would be... Uh, we, we talk about game development and stuff, but as I mentioned before, my, my professional background before this was simulation development mostly, it's, this, it's mostly the same skills. Um, it's the same kind of work. 
it usually pays better as well, depending on your position. But um, if you're if you're passionate about video games, don't limit yourself to jobs or opportunities or whatever that are entertainment related. That stuff's really, really cool, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we can apply our skills to that give all sorts of different value to the world, but also then give us different opportunities. We can get our feet in the door with stuff other than video games that later on could become a career in video games, but it might still... For me, early on, I was passionate about programming. And that turned into a game development thing. But early on, my job as a simulation developer was really, really awesome because I still got to do 90% of the same stuff. Uh, and a lot of the, I made products for people in various different countries in the world. I work with all sorts of different people with different um, backgrounds around the world. And I worked there with a really awesome team that was basically identical to a game development team. We were just doing different stuff. It was still awesome. So if you want to get into game dev, don't be blinded or blinkered just to games. Think about anything similar. Nice. A uh, piece of advice that I would give and something that I I think I spend a lot of time trying, like I'm constantly learning myself, um, is just learn to take mm -hmm. feedback, um, all feedback, whether it's negative or not. Um, it's just so helpful to be able to detach yourself from your emotions and just like look at why people are telling you the stuff they're saying um, and yeah just really delve into that so that you can make your game better yeah nice alright guys where can uh, people find you where can they uh, you know tech hunter your own if people want to reach out for help or they want to play the game play eventually, the <laughs> where can they where can they find you? Uh, starting at our website, uh, splitsymmetry.com. That's got links to our socials where you can contact us uh, by message and stuff like that. So, yeah, if you're interested in well, learning more about the game or if you want to be a playtester or anything like that, then look us up on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Drop us a line and uh, let us know. We'd like to hear from you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys, for joining us. Oli, it's incredibly lucky that you could all could join us. Um, this is our biggest yeah. podcast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's Thank going you. on the website. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Thank you so much. Keen to, keen to see how you guys go and catch up with you guys. Oh, that reminds me. Um, for the Adelaide game developers out there, Unwind is coming back. Uh, March. <sighs> I want to say 13th. I think it's 13th. First? What? Huh? It's not March the March first. first. Oh, yeah. first. Yeah, March first. So Tom just <laughs> yelled out from the other side of the room. Thank you, Tom. Shout out to Tom Meekin. <laughs> um, yeah, awesome. So get your tickets. Hope you guys all come. And yeah, thanks heaps, guys. Thanks for joining us. Sounds thanks great. Thank very you. much for hosting. Thanks for having Thank us. Awesome. Thank you. Bye, everyone. See ya. Cheers. <laughs> Bye. See ya. And Bye.